Cause he's a bad man. You never give me a fair shake. HBO need to fire you. You don't know shit about boxing. You ain't shit. Conor McGregor, you're taking everything I work for, motherfucker. I'm gonna fight your fucking ass. Who the fuck is that guy? Who the fuck is that? Cowboys. Box back out to Allen. History pilot. Tie game with five seconds remaining. Oh, uh, yes, Peter. And, and I'm just spitballing here. Hello, and welcome to the fourth edition of the Spitballing Podcast. With me today, I've got Tom Kennett, Troy Weaver, Sean Shute, and Luke Neal. So we start off today with UFC London that's taking place at the O2 Arena this Saturday night. We go straight into the main event. And uh, Troy, we've got Manuel versus Anderson. What do you think of the main event? Who do you think wins it? Uh, but this was um, a great little matchup. Obviously, Jimmy Manuel was coming off of uh, a huge fight with Olga St. Cruz. A huge knockout. Um, I think that if he gets this fight, he's demanding a total shot. So uh, I think it's going to be a tight, tight fight. Because Corey Anderson's a great wrestler. Um, and he will obviously look to use those skills, I think, against the Brit, who don't really match up in the wrestling department a lot of the time. Um, so, yeah, I think it's going to be a tough fight, but hopefully Manua can just sneak it, I believe. Tom, what are you thinking? Yeah, I think the more I looked at it, the more I looked at the matchup, before it was actually a, a better fight than I first thought when I sort of names put together. Um, I've gone with Manua as well. Um, I think he's maybe got a few too many advantages on his side. He's got some heavy hands, takes a shot all right. From what I've seen of him, his takedown defense is pretty decent as well. So against someone like Anderson, if he can use that, it'll be a standing good step in the fight. Um, losses like his one to, say, Anthony Johnson, yeah. you can kind of, you know, a lot of people are going to get killed yeah. by him, so you can kind of rule that out as a bit of a specialist sort of loss. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think he should have, as long as he's not got old overnight that we don't know about, I think he should be fine to get away. Yeah, um, I think if you quiz most people, I think most people would probably say um, uh, Manoa wins by knockout. That's the consensus with the bookies, but I'm not sure it's quite as simple as that. I think, uh, although he says he's been working on his wrestling, he's uh, been training with uh, Alexander Gustafsson, who he trains now within Sweden, so hopefully um, he's worked even more on his takedown defence. With um, when I looked at the stats, uh, Gustafsson's actually got one of the best takedown defense records in the the division. So hopefully he's been able to work on that a bit. Um, I saw that Anderson is a NCAA Div three wrestler, so he's obviously got the advantage over a Brit, as we say. He um, I actually spoke to uh, Manoa on behalf of uh, Front Magazine last month, and he was telling me that he does notice that the wrestling is probably uh, the one deficiency on on his uh, skill set. And he actually turned down the UFC uh, two times before he joins uh, the elite because he said he needed to work in his wrestling. He said he saw that a lot of Brits went into the UFC and they made a fool of themselves. Yeah, so he turned him down twice. Um, and uh, he's been working on that more and more. He said uh, that he's learned from the two losses because, as you said, the one loss to uh, Rumble Johnson and the other loss was to uh, Gustafsson. And he says that he's learned a lot more from that now. He said he used to try and uh, use slick foot movement and... Uh, get himself around the cage and he said he, he's learnt now that he described himself as um, a static puncher finisher which is probably <laughs> not the most technical <laughs> way of describing combos. No, he Never. said that he'd literally he said power shots packs of power, he? Yeah, he said it's a five round fight right. and at some point he said well in his words he said uh, Anderson's not going to be able to fucking keep him down so <laughs> he said at some point he's going to catch him and he is going to go then I haven't really seen anybody keep him down it's hard to keep they, they were talking about big that, guy. Um, in the UFC breakdown of the fight of the, it's going to be interesting to see how they can keep him to the map because not many can. Uh, Corey Anderson in some of his highlights that I was watching does manage to do that quite well. He usually when he, when he rocks a guy, he does usually seem to swarm and grab the legs and keep them to the ground. And so yeah, I do think it's going to be an interesting fight, definitely. Well, he is, he's a big guy as well. He's yeah. Manuel being a big guy. Anderson's a big fella. Well, we, the way. With um, Manuel, before he started, did any uh, combat fighting, he actually, um, uh, well, he's been to prison a couple of times and he started doing uh, bodybuilding and weightlifting. 
And actually what happened was um, he ripped his pectoral muscle when he was doing the oh. training. And during his time out, he started just throwing kicks and trying to do some kickboxing. And he watched a cage raid show in London because his uh, friend was on it. And he said he literally just thought that he could do better than the people <laughs> that he saw fighting. And so he trained for two weeks. And then two weeks later, he actually went in and had his first fight and he won. And I think he won like 10 fights in a row then, all by knockout. <laughs> so, um, yeah, he's a very strong guy. He said that he does uh, uh, work on that now. He said that I think he's uh, 37 now. And he said they're still relatively, they're still relatively both of them young in their MMA age, aren't they? So he said um, a lot to come from that. He said the losses now have literally showed him what kind of style he should fight with. He said because he didn't really have the background to go into it, he kind of was toying around with everything going into it. And now he said that he's finally just realised what it is that uh, how he should be fighting. He's a um, man number five, as well, man. So yeah, he did he think a win here. That's, yeah, I was going to say, do we think, think he gets the title shot next? Gustafsson and uh, Tixera, yeah. the guys that are above him, in two and three, I think he's ranked four at the moment. Yeah. Um, they're fighting, obviously, but, and uh, obviously you've got Ant Johnson and Cormier trying to fight. Um, um, and so I think he, the way, we heard a recent interview with him, he was he was saying that the way he looks at it, a win here gets him title shot. Yeah, well, he, so. he said to me, uh, he won't be taking anything less. He said that Anderson, um, was actually like the fifth guy that they asked. He said they asked Shogun for the fight, they asked Deshera for the fight. He said he won't fight um, Gustafsson because uh, they're actually very good friends yeah, now. Yeah. So they tra- uh, they train together. And so he said that, uh, well, I think they asked uh, Bader as well, but uh, I think still not too sure what's going on with him. Mm. So he said that he is, he deserves a title shot next. And I think uh, he probably, probably hoped for um, Johnson, you would think, looking at their styles because he can stand and bang with him rather than have to worry about the wrestling. I think he wants to Johnson. Yeah. I think he wants to Johnson. He said um, he, he actually, um, his style when he went in against Johnson was that he was going to be slick and move. So he said he drained a lot of weight off himself. And he said, looking back now, that is the worst thing he could have done. He, said, yeah, yeah. he said, if he was to go in there now, he realizes that his strength is in his punching power and so he would just go in there as big and strong as possible you just, just have to have a shootout with him yeah like, you're going to take now I'm yeah. not sure it's someone you want to have a shootout with but yeah that, that's what he uh, said he would you do you ain't going to have if we go on to uh, the, uh, the um, co-main event we've got um, Gunnar Nelson against um, Juban um, so this is a tough one to call uh, another striker versus grappler affair you'd probably say uh, Troy what do you think of this one um, I mean with this one it was it is. I mean, just looking at the fight on paper, it doesn't look like the most interesting of fights, uh, from, you know, as first glance. But I think it's actually going to be uh, an interesting fight. Styles make matchups, and uh, Joban is a is a hell of a kickboxer, um, and he is is looking pretty decent at the moment. He has been patching his MMA career because I didn't realise this until I looked him up a little bit. He's actually a model. Um, so <laughs> most of his time, he's been you know kind of. Looking after that, that's been paying the bills. Yeah. The UFC have obviously got him in through the door and he's now focusing fully yeah. on his MMA career. Um, he's a very aggressive fighter, I believe, uh, the way he fights. And Nelson, um, obviously we know he trains with Conor McGregor, so the way he moves is similar. They use that, um, same, uh, kind oh, no, of, I know what you what's mean. it called? I can't, I can't you know think what of the name. Called, you know, the yeah, I know they like got that. that. Yeah, it's in the videos. Something to do with movement anyway and all of that. They, they're both on the same sort of thing as that, but the difference there is Gunnar Nelson's got a hell of a grand game and he, he would definitely look to get him with a rear naked choke. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Um, exactly. 11 of um, Nelson's victories have been by submission. And um, although uh, Juban's never been submitted, um, he said that's the main thing for this camp. He said he's looked... Uh, at the methods that Nelson uses to get the rear naked choke in. He said he usually uses the elbows to then get him to roll over. And he said yeah. that's the main thing that he's going through. Uh, you'd probably say, um, aside from a decision, um, if it was going to go to the mat, then you'd but Nelson to choke him out, and you'd probably say um, Juban uh, could knock him out. But I saw that Nelson has never been knocked out. Is um, Losses are to Rick Story, uh, which is a split decision. A decision. Yeah, and he lost a decision to Meyer, who is now the contender at the top. So um, I think if I was to predict, I would say um, uh, Nelson survives some uh, dynamic striking from Juban early before um, uh, clipping him on the feet because he has been knocked out twice uh, 
Zuban, so I'd say you can take him to the mat and then uh, choke him out of the Emerson before the end. Yeah, I probably think so. It's along the same sort of lines. But I think Nelson, <clears throat> I will admit I've seen a bit more of Nelson as well, but um, this stand up game as well, I think, is enough to keep it competitive on the stand up. And then, as you said, I think he is going to get him on the floor. And if he doesn't submit him, I think he can make it one sided enough that he'd get out of a fairly comfortable scene as well. Tumanov has been um, knocked out as well. He's been knocked out twice, so he obviously can be hurt on the feet and I think he doesn't need to be hurt badly but as long as he's hurt enough to kind of scramble his senses a bit then that can be enough for Nelson to take him to the mat. Yeah exactly I think it's another case of win this and you can start looking at some of the bigger boys as well to get into the top you can probably start looking at top 10 fighters and yep. make a bit of a name for yourself more not. Um, so aside from that also on the card um, we've got Brad Pickett he's coming to the end of his um, professional MMA career um, One Punch has been uh, one of the faces of MMA in England um, and he'll now face uh, Marlon Vera after Briones pulled out of the fight again. So I just wondered, um, if we go to you first, Troy, just uh, how do you reflect on uh, Pickett's career as a whole now? Uh, Brad Pickett, for me, is um, he's one of the most sort of under-admired fighters in the UFC. Um, the guy's had a 13-year career. Um, during that career, he's obviously fought in the UFC and the WEC, which was fought by the UFC. He's picked up six fight bonuses during this time, uh, knockouts of the night, uh, fight of the nights, etc. Uh, Dana White's favourite fighter. Um, he's he's just an exciting, exciting fighter. If you if you sort of just pick any of his fights at random, yeah. you guarantee a good fight. Um, so yeah, it's just it's, he's one of them sort of guys that I think as it is his last fight uh, in other fights, maybe you've got that sort of fear of. Well, if I lose, then I'll go this way. If I win, I'll go this way. You've got no fear in this no. fight at all. You can just go out there, put on a show for the fans in his last ever fight, and hopefully it'll be a real cracker. Yeah. So. Do you have any thoughts on this, TK? Yeah, like you said, it's a shame. Uh, to be honest, um, he couldn't make the fight as well, because it would have been good to see him get out of here. Yeah. Point, not someone coming in short notice. But, yeah, from, from what I've seen, it seems it's probably unfortunate. I seem to watch when he gets a, a yeah. tight loss. <laughs> so he seems to get like a tight decision loss. Like he seems to be on the wrong end of quite a few splits yeah. in his career as well. Mm. As well as well, a couple of ones that have gone on his side, like the um, one on the discipline silver and the yeah. yeah, I remember getting to see him get the win on that. You would have seen him as well on, um, I think it was the McGregor Mendes card where he fought. Um, I think that was when we fought. Uh, Thomas Almeida, where With he was, he was ahead, KO. yeah, and he was doing it, and then he got that horrible fly knee KO. Yeah, 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 I said that was probably one of the other stuff that fly knee KO was absolutely wrong. <laughs> so yeah, like you said, a bit of a kind of flag bearer as well. Yeah, kind yeah. of. Like, I wish you were a favourite. Yeah. Well, he said yeah. he said um, in one of his tweets today, he said um, one of the things that obviously wasn't nice for him at the time, but something he'll take now is because like, he's made the mistakes coming up, and he's kind of. Uh, Proved what not to do in some instances yeah. for the people now when uh, British MMA is being taken seriously. People have learned from that now, so maybe upcomers like uh, Mark Diakie or someone like that can really learn from the mistakes he's made and going up and down in weight, uh, getting too excited in your fights and um, things like that. Um, one of the things to note is he's actually one of only uh, two men ever to defeat Demetrius Johnson, yeah. who's uh, <laughs> like regarded as um, one of the best ever and uh, certainly the best in the UFC right now. And um, uh, he he beat him uh, quite a number of years ago, and he said that was actually um, the reason he dropped down in weight previously because he thought with uh, how Demetrius Johnson goes through all his opponents, he got a couple of wins, and then he maybe could have. Uh, got a fight with him there so that was then when he lost to um, it was like the Almeida loss or maybe the one after but um, I'd say uh, he's, as you said he's never had a boring fight and I think he's kind of uh, in his career he's proved that he's just never willing to stay down I mean he won he's only won one of his last six fights but if you look at the names he's faced he's faced Uriah Faber um, Sago Alcantara uh, uh, Almeida uh, Almeida he's fought Chico Camus and Ian McCall so that's quite a list of fighters to face back to back. He's not taking any easy touches, really. And I think you hear it from a lot of fighters that he really does define uh, any time, any place, anywhere. And uh, the last thing I would say on him is if, if you're going to watch one thing, if you go back um, and you watch his knockout of Eve Jabouin, then that uh, really defines the one punch nickname. And that thing oh, was yeah, one yeah, of the ones, yeah, he got knockout of the night for. Yeah. yeah, that was lethal. I think um, with this card as well, in, just in general, it's 
it's, it's a really good card to highlight British MMA. Yeah, um, I think there's a British fighter in pretty much every fight, yeah. bar the uh, Gunnar Nelson Allen who fight, which is really good to see. Um, the undercard as well is actually really yeah. good. Like, just for instance, some of the fights on, on the undercard um, that I was looking at earlier. Um, where are we going here? There's Bradley Scott versus uh, versus Scott Askham in the middleweight division. Yeah. Both of those are English. That's going to be a, a yeah. really good fight as well. Um, there's also some just there's just so yeah, Mark uh, as you mentioned yeah. earlier, he's on the card as well. But I think it's going to actually be a really good card. Um, I would say as opposed to yeah. not really getting a huge yeah. amount of. I would say the um, uh, Keys is probably one of the ones to watch in terms of. Uh, Someone the fans can get behind in England for the Star future. Star-wise, he's dyed his hair um, in the Red Mohican, <laughs> almost in a homage to Matt Hardy in the fight coming out. <laughs> and um, he seems like he's got the attitude, he's got the trash talk uh, to really have people get behind him. And it'd be interesting to see uh, how well back the event is on uh, Saturday, mm. because I hope it does well and maybe it'll encourage either more people to start British MMA or the people watching uh, around the world to maybe take it a bit more seriously. Yeah. Is it a um? Is it on a normal sort of scheduled times? It's on uh, it's on British time. It's That's only it's only being shown on Fight Pass. So, yeah. Um, uh, oh, what? Uh, it's not on BT. It's on BT here, but I mean, like around oh, the world, oh, it's only okay, on yeah, Fight so Pass. Not, oh, so. yeah, of course, it's not actually a pay. Yeah, video, hopefully, it, we yeah. need probably need to hope for at least one good fight to make people go back and watch uh, the event. Hopefully, um, we got some uh, interest from overseas with the main event. So, hopefully, that draws yeah, people yeah. in. Last Wednesday night, we had uh, Barca do almost the unthinkable and come back from uh, 4-0 down in aggregate to defeat PSG in the Champions League last 16. Uh, so if I go to you first, Luke, uh, would you say it was um, brilliant from Barca or more of a major choke from PSG? Um, bit of a mix. And then you've got to take into effect of what the goals were. As in, the first two goals definitely could have been 100% avoided. Um, as in, I don't know... What the defender, well, the goalkeeper should have come and came the first one. He shouldn't even have had a chance to get his head on it. The second one, again, defender should not, but just get rid of it. I don't know if you, I know they can say like nervy moments, from them, but it's not their first game, is it? They so know what they're doing. It's so almost, just get rid of it. Almost like uh, when that second one went in was kind of, I think, when they kind of thought so that, that, yeah, that it's, not I mean. our, it's not our night. When you can see the goals like that. <laughs> even the first one, even the first one, as soon as that went in, everyone got the thought of, could they? Because <laughs> yeah. it's only three minutes in, and then it was a case of PSG. What you want to do? Any game you're in the lead is let's go out first twenty, keep it nil nil, go from there. After the first three minutes, you're one nil down. Shit. And then probably when uh, the game kind of when you could really start believing was when they had that penalty to go three nil up. Yeah, the penalty that. Easily could have been avoided. Yeah, as the man falls over and Neymar just runs into That's what I was going to say. He's taking advantage of the situation. So you do you think it was a penalty? Um, you got to look at either way. He's made the contact, but from the refs in, the angle the ref is when you're watching the replays, Neymar looks like he's running a straight line. Could he easily avoid it? But then again, you can avoid any kind of like those ones um, where Vardy last season would put his leg there to be. Trips, so it was almost like you have. It was, in, yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't as ob- obvious as some of the shit houses he got over last season, but mm. it was that. It was that yeah, kind was of thing. Yeah. yeah. Tom, do you think it was a penalty? Uh, First one, that is. Yeah, I. I don't think it was. In all fairness, I think because he's gone looking for it, I don't think he can. But I can, I can see why it was given. It wasn't yeah. like the second one where you think I don't have any idea of. I thought, I thought it was a penalty. Um, more than the second more, one, yeah, more right, than yeah. the second one. I thought the first, I thought it was a penalty on the basis that he has gone over him. I know you can't avoid him, but especially with European referees, they're usually quite soft, and so that is the kind of thing they would give. I almost thought um, the referee was maybe buying into the comeback yeah. story, and so he was more willing to give, almost like again Leicester last season, where towards the end, they're almost if they can give it, then they will because they kind of want to buy into the fairy tale and the joy of football. Even subconsciously, you're probably thinking, you're yeah, more open it's that, it's that as well. You know, the whole like crowd get on the back for the atmosphere. Mm. I don't know how many games recently you've you've watched how how loud they've been because that was one of the loudest atmospheres I've heard a game recently, especially when that first goal went in. Even before then, and the whole game, it was just 
like deafening, even for your team. Obviously, it, it was ridiculous. That's not going to help the no. situation. You know, you've got almost hundred thousand packed into that stadium. Yeah, if you're a Barca fan as well, you're going to sort of have that thing of just that you're you're used to always winning, mm-hmm. and you're used to them doing the the ridiculous things. So when it when it happened, I wasn't even that surprised. I was just kind of like. Yeah, I didn't bet on it. I didn't bet on it, but I probably should have. I knew other people that did, and yeah. it is one of those things. That, yeah, like you say, the atmosphere in the stadium, the fans getting behind them, and then a combination as well, like you just said, the like rep as well. And yeah, it's, yeah. it's crazy. But do you think it's a penalty? Do you think it's a penalty, Sean? Um, well, I think they got very unlucky uh, in terms of the. Obviously, PSG. What about the first one? I mean, PSG yeah, fell, first like, fell yeah. over. Yeah, and yeah. then it kind of. Felt bad for PSG, but I think you kind of <laughs> had to give it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, in terms of just like, obviously going back to your first question about whether it was great Barcelona yeah. or poor PSG, um, I think you've, you've got to say it's poor PSG. I think in, in terms of the two games, the two games that I've probably watched most recently and two of the best games I've watched in, yeah. I can't remember how yeah. long, but if you, obviously PSG, like, tore them apart in the first leg, 4-0, just absolutely dismantled Barca, I thought, Rabio, he's, he's quite a well-known name, but still really established himself in yeah. that first leg. And then you go into the second leg, and you just can't excuse conceding six goals. No. Like four, <laughs> if Barca won 4-0, I think, well, and then 4-0 and then like extra time penalties, yeah. it's kind of more acceptable, but especially when Cavani scored that goal, and then it was like whatever, yeah. it was 85th minute or whatever it was, and then to concede another three and lose 6-1. So, so that's what... Um, so when they scored the goal, it almost seemed uh, the pressure almost seemed as if it went from them. They celebrated as if they just won the tournament in terms of when they scored the goal. Yeah, yeah. They, it was almost like they tried. I know at this point they were trying still to just go through, but even then more, it seemed like they had no ambition whatsoever. But you could almost see once they scored, maybe they should have a bit more ambition, but they just seemed like we've just got to get through this last 20 minutes or whatever it was just to get through the game. Yeah, I've never seen... A, um, I've just never seen a team collapse like that and it's just completely not but under the pressure of it they just like when they passed like they only made like four passes in the last few minutes they just couldn't play at all no. you've got to give credit obviously credit the way the Barca keep the ball and the way you pass around but you mentioned about the 3-1 thing and they celebrated like they've won it there was I, can't, I think it was Cavani I, can't, I think Cavani said post-match it was either him or one of the other PSG players said that when they scored that goal they were walking back to the house speaking to the Barca players and they were like, it's done now, it's done, it's game over. Even they were saying, which, oh, they were saying, nah, it's done. Like, you, you're free now, it's game over, really, just see what you can do. And they said, before it got to last, like, five minutes, all the Barca players, whenever they're speaking to them or saying anything, they were pretty much congratulating them on the pitch, there and then, and they're through. Whereas then, Neymar pings that free kick in top bins, there you go. And then, you've got the penalty, and then it's on to that Almost penalty. with um, the crowd, up until... Uh, the point of the Cavani goal and then as soon as that Neymar goal went in it was like I know we were referenced how loud they were but even just seeing them on the screen they didn't look like a team that were fearful of not going through they just looked the whole time like it was almost a normality and they were just waiting for it to happen yeah well they've done this in if you just look at their own league they've done this and look at the amount of leagues that they've won recently the last 10 years compared to a team they've gone against in Madrid who are a better team than um, PSG. They've done it against them better in Europe than they have, other than obviously the last two Champions League actually winning the titles, obviously, but they still won, I think, the same amount or one more in the last 10 years. And then they've also done it against Atletico Madrid, who arguably are one of the best defensive teams in the world over the last sort of five years, bar this year when they've gone through a bit of shit. But the last two, three seasons, they've known... The camp knew as well. They'd known they can take anyone there they yeah. want. They could have 14 men on the pitch and they'd still back themselves to win the game. So then, um, following on from that, we had um, the second contentious penalty decision. And if um, I go to you first, TK, um, did you think the second one was a penalty? <laughs> I don't think anyone really thought it was a penalty, did they? Um, yeah, he has got that in the locker. Um, he kind of did it a couple of times before, didn't he? Yeah. He went for it, he got booked for diving. Yeah, he said about the crowd's um, atmosphere and stuff. It's sort of it gets to the point as well where both the players and the crowd demand a foul to the point where the game stops and you're going to give that foul no matter what. The referee is it's a difficult position to be in because it's key for himself. The amount of times you've watched the El Clasico, 
have been ruined just because one player goes against one team yeah. and then everyone's just throwing themselves on the deck left, right, and centre. But the thing with it is, and I saw a, a journal write this as well, we're all praising Barca and rightly so because it's an unbelievable game. But we are, you're telling the rest not to give certain things, but then actively, we're basically encouraging it because we're saying Suarez has died, you're not going to get a goal probably without that, and they've gone through, but it's all forgotten because what a comeback. Which, in, in my opinion, I'd probably rather talk about the comeback. But yeah. if you're a PSG fan, you're probably tearing it out. Yeah. You've seen there's a petition to get the game, yeah. <laughs> game replayed. Yeah, <laughs> the state of some people these days. It's, um, it's a referendum. It's <laughs> one of those things that you would, how many things had to go Barca's way together. They had yeah. two penalties, one of those which were it. questionable. Obviously, the free kick was a, a great free kick. But yeah, then Neymar's. Uh, obviously, Stegen did that tackle, which that could have gone anyway. If yeah. Stegen doesn't make that tackle, then they've lost. Yeah. And then yeah. Neymar, like, he tries to get it in first, obviously, or he, like, turns around and obviously bends it. It's a phenomenal ball. Bends it back in. Um, so, yeah, it's just one of those things, like, everything had to go right for Barca to go through, but still, obviously, PSG but can't the, have um, any excuses. The, sorry, yeah, the thing is, like you said, from PSG's point of view, you probably think early, from early on, you probably think this just isn't supposed to be on no. In terms of what you said before about it being a choke or Barca, yeah. I think regardless of what you said about decisions, you've probably got to praise Barca for the fact that after the Cavani goal, they still keep going. Fun, despite at that point, that would kill most teams. Yeah, it was fun. Like the second uh, PSG showed the weakness, they, that then instilled and then yeah, prompted yeah, the brilliance exactly from to Barca them, to then go on. Because once that uh, they, they scored the second penalty, it wasn't. It almost seemed like it wasn't yeah, in doubt they were yeah, going to get that, that, that final goal, and then. We're talking more about how much uh, we love football. We're all caught up in the heat at the moment, yeah. and then we forget about briefly because we we'll speak about it now. But you briefly forget then about the contentious decisions, and you almost don't want to talk about, talk about the more knowledge because the, yeah, then you're almost retracting away from Barca. Yeah, yeah. In terms of, I don't see how you can be in the position PSG were in on say was it 88 minutes? They still had to score three goals. I think it was like 85 or so. You can't like really consider on. it anything but a massive eight, choke eight, to free kick. Whatever, whatever team you are, you've got to be able to keep out three goals in that time. It's, it's not, like, it's not like a half, team. it's not like a 90 minutes, it's like five minutes yeah. realistically. It's just ridiculous, isn't it? I think there, there was an interesting thing about, um, I can't remember the names, so forgive me for not remembering the names, but in the first leg, he didn't play Thiago Silva, I guess, right? he played a different centre-half pairing with Martinez um, and then obviously there's been some rumours coming out that Thiago Silva's a bit of a, a bad egg in the changing room mm. you know, I think he's maybe said Look, I don't want to play in this game yeah. and obviously he played terribly and <laughs> might have cost a bit so maybe that's an insight I, don't, I mean I don't know how that, how PSG can fit themselves even even that. with that yeah. it's Marquinhos made the mistake for the um, second goal is in I think he was the defender that didn't clear the ball when he should have, or Iniesta decided he'd perform some magic from back in 2010. Um, but other than that, I don't think Thiago Silva makes much different because the defender he replaced is, isn't a defender of like top quality. It was someone that they were talking about in third leg as being inexperienced and then going, this is going to be a big test if this doesn't come off. PSG might look stupid, obviously, when they 4 0. But I don't think you can leave all it down to one person playing instead of the other. It was the whole team. No. And Barca, to be fair, no, the way that Barca no. played was nothing like they did when they played it in Paris. The way they hunted the ball was back looking like an old like pet team more than they have when they played under. They looked like a brilliant didn't they? Yeah, they but did. The first leg, they looked almost old. Definitely. Yeah. Why? Saying like Iniesta got older overnight. My point is more: why would you change a team that's just put? One of the best performances in yeah, Europe recently. Yeah, is why would you change that team? It's just beat Barca four 0 bring in bring in Thiago Silva. As much as he's a big name, obviously he's in the captain. Always well, I think he, yeah, he, he is. Yeah, think he is yeah. 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 You need was, a leader, don't you, on that? This, like, like, like that. Well, yeah. Well, as you said there, um, you said one of the best performances uh, in Europe. Uh, people are saying about the second leg from Barca, saying it's uh, arguably the greatest comeback in history. So. Uh, if we just quickly reflect on it, um, Luke, if I go to you first, um, would you agree? Would you say that is the greatest comeback in, in history? Um, for me, for purely of like one that I've witnessed myself, um, I'd probably say so is the most up there because of the like, ridiculous factor of it. Of 
not even that three minutes of normal time left, if not two. They've got a free kick. I think he's not going to score from there, let's be honest. And then next thing is from the top corner. Anyway, they've still got two left. They've got maximum four minutes left, really. And then they get the penalty. And then they get that. What is pretty much going to be the last attempt they've got? And how many times do you see in a game they've got the last attempt to try and get a goal back? And it goes in, or the cross is terrible. But the ball they've put in is inch perfect. And he, Neymar had an absolutely phenomenal game all game anyway. Um, I, thought, I think it was Munia right back. <laughs> I don't think it was because having a bad game, the fact that he came against Neymar. He's he did have a absolutely turned. Yeah. Like he's not been great all season. He's been in a bit of a goal guard first. Not been like up to what he's normally been in the last couple of years. But that game, he turned up and rolled back a couple of years back and what he's performing. Um, but if you compare, I've got a couple of a couple of examples of obviously other comebacks you can compare it to. When, even if you just look at purely Champions League, you obviously you've got Istanbul, where three 0 wrote off, done. But that's, they've had a whole half essentially come back into it. I know it's only taken them like 20 minutes, but then they've gone on and attacked all the way the penalties. But winning the game to what it is, obviously they've won the Champions League because of that. So you've more got, you've got that as a more significant game, but is it more, like, a more impressive or the best comeback, so to speak? Then you've also got the, um, and I believe it was at the new camp as well, was also the comeback. Uh, United winning the Champions League against with the Prime Unit. Yeah. yeah. Imagine yeah. yeah. Um <laughs> and that was um the goals that were scored in that game were scored in the ninetieth minute, so just in like thirty seconds of the added time to make it to make it one all. And then you've got the goal that was then scored in ninety two minutes. Yeah. So then they've literally taken taken the kick off, won the ball back, got a corner <laughs> and scored again. It's how ridiculously win that game again at Far, it's at the new camp. Far more significant as well, like you said. Yeah, again, it wins you the title of the next round. And, yeah, and Barca lose the next round and then go out or they could lose 4-0 and pull up another 6-1. You know? <laughs> and then, but then also, if you're crossing over different sports, or like, if you're going to even say is it the best one in the last 12 months, or even sort of like this year, then look at like the best comeback in the NFL that you've had with the Super Bowl. Yeah. Because that's, as, as that might say, that's the biggest comeback in the Super Bowl final. History. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. they've got that, like, if you're saying if it's just the sport, then I'm, I've got to say, for what I've seen personally, so, it is. So you would say the Barca game? The Barca game is, because of the, just, they bang six goals in. You shouldn't be conceding six goals if you're in the same competition as someone like the Champions League and during the knockout stages, you shouldn't be conceding six goals in one game. Um, Sean, what, what would you say? Um, I I wouldn't agree. Um, I think I in terms of our lifetime, I think I probably would pick. In terms of if we're just football, I think I would pick Istanbul. Um, the way I view it, um, maybe because it's been obviously it's 2005, so it's a long time ago. Maybe my memory is a bit faded. But in terms of the Milan team that obviously did score those three goals to start with, that was an amazing team. Yeah. Do you think they had Kaká, Shevchenko, Cafu, Nardini, Nesta? One of the best teams we've had in our lifetime. And I think what I felt was more of an inspired performance from Gerrard and Liverpool in terms of them getting those goals back rather than Milan. I didn't feel like Milan collapsed as well, yeah, crumbled yeah, yeah. in that game. They were, obviously, it went all the way to extra time as well. And then... Obviously, they won on penalties. Um, in terms of obviously ones recently, in terms of the the Super Bowl, I think again it might. Well, I'll start with the Barca game. Obviously, just now, again that one, I felt like it was more of a choke from PSG. In terms of the NFL, Falcons had the game pretty much wrapped up. If, if Matt Ryan doesn't drop back and throws it and just runs, they win that game as well. So Falcons sort of choke that game. Um, yeah, so that's why I think the reason I picked Liverpool over the label Liverpool Istanbul over this current one or one in recent years is the more of the fact that it was more of their performance, more than coming back rather than a choke. So, CK, if I go to you, what, what would you say? Uh, obviously, I'm quite biased, so I will, I will know that. <laughs> Anything over than Istanbul and Liverpool fan would be an outreach. No, I just, I just think you can make very clear points for it being Istanbul as well. Um, obviously, Luke said about Liverpool basically had a half to come back, didn't they? But Barca did have 90 minutes to come back. They knew yeah. exactly what they were aiming for. 
and it was one of those before the Barcelona game, as much as you thought, oh, they can't do this, can they? There was people thinking maybe they can because they are capable of sticking six passes. Do, do you know what odds they were to qualify? They're four nil down for the first leg. The the, the, still, the shortest odds you can like the like the yeah the shortest odds people offering eleven to two. Or something they like were that. seven to one to yeah, qualify. Yeah. Who, so, what other team on the planet would be four nil down after one yeah. leg and be seven? I, exactly. I don't know what odds are like Arsenal. I don't know what odds Arsenal are. Well, to come know. back, <laughs> yeah, because like <laughs> they're going to be like because, I know they're not the same caliber as Barcelona, but you look at what a normal team would be to come back from that against a good team because PSG are not they're not a sharp team. They're, they're a very good team, but. For seven to one, just do that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I suppose that's kind of the the point I'm making is as much as it is unbelievable what they did because of Barcelona, you can think they're entirely capable of doing that. And the thing with made Istanbul special is the kind of the disparity of the two teams. Yeah. Look at Liverpool finished fifth that year, and fifth was probably even generous to them because it was a poor team. You had one of the best, one of the best teams ever in Eastern Milan, probably one of the best defensive I've ever seen. You had Milan Barosh playing from his own. <laughs> I wouldn't have bad about Barosh. Of defence, it was Cafu, Maldini, Nesta, and Yapstam, with Perlo and Gattuso just in front of it. And we had the likes of Barosh and Jimmy Troyor. I still don't understand that Liverpool. Exactly, even getting to the final was ridiculous with that team. So I just think, for those reasons, and yeah, it was a good point you were made actually about you didn't watch that Milan team and think, oh, they're falling apart in no. teams here. Maybe it was just. It was one of the ones that just seemed to be liberal to kind of drag their way through. That's, if we uh, go to you, Troy, would, would, would you agree? Um, do you think it's Istanbul? Is there anything else you'd say? Or? Yeah, personally, I'd, um, I'd agree with you two on the fact that it's, that it's the AC Milan and, and uh, Liverpool game. Uh, simply just because of how the, the situation played out, it's the final. Uh, like you say, Liverpool weren't nearly expected to even get to the final, let alone win the thing, and then to be 3 0 down at half time and then turn it around. It was, uh, it was something special. Something that, that obviously, like you said as well, is that Barca, you kind of expect these things. Usually. Yeah, that's definitely a big part of does it. That mean, does that make it a worse comeback purely because you expect it? Okay. No, no, you enjoy the shock. You enjoy yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, 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 it's hard to sort of say it, but like you, you're kind of just like, oh, really? Like It doesn't really matter too yeah. much that they did it. Obviously, we're not going to say it's not a big thing. It was a big thing that they did that. But like you just said, they were basically 7-1 to one to qualify that. That's ridiculous odds. Like yeah. a team that's down so much in that thing. So yeah, I think. But one thing it did do is is it uh it makes you sort of realise that how amazing football is. Yeah. Again. So a lot of people saying like, yeah. fell in love with the sport again. Yeah. And stuff like that. So. In um, the Milan game, I think it was Shevchenko who kissed the trophy as as, yeah. he, as he was walking yeah. off at half time. Did show. he? I didn't realise. Yeah, yeah, he yeah. kissed the trophy as, he, as he was walking down the tunnel. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I would say um I would I would agree um. Most of us and say Istanbul would probably be the one for me that I would say is uh, the greatest comeback. That's the one, whenever a comeback happens, that's the one that is referenced. To, yeah, that's to go to. And uh, like we always 11 yeah. 12 yeah. childhood memory. You're, you're allowed to stay yeah. up to watch it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Imagine, imagine that, though. You've got all the bed. All the stories are some people going to bed at half time yeah. and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, mate, it's extra time. You go, to, <laughs> you go to bed, mate. Not watching the penalty. You'll find out in the morning. Just uh, the final point I'd say is um, much like the Barca game, there was a very contentious penalty decision in the Liverpool <laughs> game. Yeah, team <laughs> with a blatant dive we, we from Gerrard. Gerrard, can you finally admit that Gerrard died? I'm not. Yeah. I'm not admitting. Go, go and watch it. I've watched it. There's a lot of Drags his arm and the shoulder across. Even if you didn't think it was enough to bring him down, it's enough to be conceded it was a foul. At the very least, and he's made the most. And if outside the box, you would 100 percent give a free kick as well. So I even in today's watching it, watching it live, I genuinely thought I don't know how he hasn't been sent off. Genuinely, you can say what you want. I was scoring opportunity as well. On that note, I think it probably is time to move on. We've done, we've done more, more than the first year, haven't we? So this Saturday at Madison Square Garden, we have uh, Triple G, Gennady Golovkin, facing arguably his toughest test of date in uh, Daniel Jacobs. So um, if I just go to you first, TK, um, what do you think of the fight and uh, who do you think wins? Yeah, it's, uh, it's probably the... Outside of obviously Golovkin, Canelo, which everyone's talking about, it's probably the best fight to be made in the middleweight division, I think. Um, I think Jacobs is definitely going to be his toughest test in terms of the overall package. He's faced big punches before, he's faced guys who can box before, Jacobs can do a bit of both. Um, I think he's 
I think when we talk about his chin, I think he might show a bit more toughness than people expect, actually, as well. Um, you expect, obviously, Triple G to get a job done, but, yeah, it's, it's a legit fight in the middle way. Do you think, um, he, he, do you think, uh, in terms of the fight, do you think it is a one to eight favourite kind of job, which is what Golovkin is? Uh, the nature of Golovkin is that he's always going to be given those odds, um, but, no, I, I don't think that is a fair, fair reflection, but then when he goes in, KOs in like four rounds or something, then you're probably going to tell me then, well, yeah, obviously it's Garathan. Um, yeah, I would say Golovkin, for his qualities, he, he can be hit. He's not as easy to hit as he'll make out, and I'm sure we'll probably come on to yeah. that in a bit. Um, but I think if Jacobs runs some of the shots Brook lands, you'll have a bit more of an idea just how much Golovkin can take. Yeah, the thing that you would say is, has uh, faced some big punches before and he's never still dropped in he his career, amateur or professional. He's not even the shirk in so, any of the fights. No. He boxes uh, better in those fights, but I've seen that Kirk Stevens have some big shots and then he didn't Yeah, that's what um, I would say. I would say, um, in agreement with you, it, it will be a Golovkin win, I would be fairly certain saying that. Um, I think it might be a bit more... Um, clear cut than maybe some people think. I think some people are seeing that maybe he'll go in um, a lot like the Lemieux fight and he'll box and box and box and he breaks him down because um, obviously we'll have seen probably the most, uh, most high profile knockout of Jacob's career would be the knockout of uh, Peter Quillen inside yeah. a round. Um, so I would say maybe he has uh, seen that and he might be a bit more cautious but I would also say um, uh, even maybe not so much um, Jacob's chin being as bad as he's touted I think his defence is quite leaky. He does get hit with yeah. shots. He can get hit through the guard. He gets hit around the guard. Um, and I think that um, it'll be quicker. I think he'll break down quicker than Lemieux. And I can actually see with this one, um, I didn't so much see it with Lemieux, but I think Jacobs may be the type to go down swinging. So I think we could see um, like maybe like a highlight reel style knockout. I think uh, I think he'll hurt Jacobs. And I think when uh, Jacobs has to go into it, because he has been dropped, dropped by Sergio Mora, yeah. Um, and most recently, so I would say when it gets tough for Jacobs and he has to go in swinging, then I think that's when it might not end so well for him. And I think it will be a fairly simple night in terms of um, comfort for Golovkin. In, in a strange way, um, seems strange to say, but Golovkin almost needs a, a highlight real KO. I think if you look at obviously the Brock one, yeah, wasn't that type of fight before that. I think before from that way. Yeah, not a high-profile contender. He's got like fairly simply. Boxing is quite a he likes quite short memories in the game. And if you're not producing the big knockouts regularly, people start to sort of get this. They obviously know the beast of like that is Triple G. But if you have a big reminder of this on a you know probably high-profile fight as well against a legit contender, then again people are mindful. And I think more than ever you start putting pressure on. People like Canelo would say, like, get in the ring of him and you face him too easily. Well, I think with um, uh, Lemieux having knocked out um, Kit Stevens in a dramatic fashion on Saturday night as well, I think Golden Boy maybe are eyeing up uh, the Canelo um, uh, Lemieux fight, assuming he gets by Chavez Jr. So I think it could be that Golovkin needs to make a real statement and, so and kind of deny it, get in the ring, do as usual. Although it doesn't tend to work. Um, Outside of um, Canelo, would you agree the fight that we'd like to see then would be um, Golovkin Saunders, see him get all the belts? Yeah, yeah, I think that's one we've, we've got to see him, see him still holding all the belts would be quite a thing. I was a fan of him as well, it'd be nice yeah. to see. Um, and it's something he's seen going for, and you don't really see anyone do that anymore. You see yeah. the occasional unification and stuff, but you don't see someone saying, right, I won't win all the belts. And, you know, Saunders isn't really probably the most financially rewarding fight for them either. No. But it's, it's one I go for. I think Star Wars would be interesting. Sort of that's, yeah, much. that's what I would say. It's certainly a bit different. Um, I think we know he can box, but um, for someone like um, Golovkin, uh, someone like Saunders, who has the reputation of being a slick boxer, I'm, I'm not sure whether he has that in America, but I think they could build that. I don't think they'll even recognise it. The thing I would say is uh, if they're able to sell Canelo versus Liam Smith in America, <laughs> surely they can sell uh, uh, the boxing capabilities of um, and the fact Saunders. he's got a world title, you can yeah, sell. and you probably forget. Um, I think, uh, judging by uh, some of the comments on Twitter, I see and uh, on polls and things, Americans do seem to know uh, Chris Eubank Jr. 
I know he's put himself about a bit in the Mayweather gyms and things yeah. like that, and he's got people talking. Yeah. So maybe when they see um, Ewan Junior on the record of the, uh, of Saunders, they go. may they may pay attention a bit more. Yeah. Yeah. Good point. But I think uh, if he can get that final belt. Then there literally is there's nothing, there's, nothing, there's nothing more for him to do than Canelo, and I don't think Canelo has anywhere else that he he can legitimately go. He can't really no. drop down again without getting making the Canelo weight. Um, he can't. I can't see um, Canelo going up uh, uh, in weight because um, I think that would be even even more blatant duck than already before. So maybe if we don't get it in September, maybe on the Cinco de Mayo next year. Is probably, I would say, the deadline as to when we need to see. We'll never um, see it. Golovkin probably has to go up yeah. if he can't get the Canelo fight. Like I say, he's, like, he's running out of challenges, isn't he? Or maybe it actually helps him more if he gets clipped by Jacobs on Saturday and he does a little dance for a second or something. Yeah, and true. then that could, might make the fight a bit more uh, sellable or uh, just a fight uh, more likely to be made if, if they see maybe a weakness in him. That's all people saying about. Um, Golovkin against Brook and suggesting he struggled. I didn't yeah, necessarily no. see it as a struggle. I think it was more Sky Sports kind of told us Brook was doing brilliantly and how yeah. um, much I didn't really see it as that. Um, but the fact that if some people start buying into that, then people are more like fighting. And, and to be fair, if someone like Jacobs lands a shot, some of the shots Brook landed, some of those other yeah. guys It'd be interesting to see how Triple G reacts. It's just whether you think he can. Really. Well, and that was one of the things that you touched on earlier, saying about. Um, uh, how commercially viable Golovkin is, and maybe the short memory. Um, I know uh, uh, yourself, me, and uh, Sean all uh, went to the Brook Golovkin fight. Yeah. And um, for Sean, who isn't uh, uh, maybe watching boxing as often as us, um, it may have been uh, one of the first couple of times that he's seen Golovkin. I was going to ask you, Sean, maybe um, how how differently did you see Golovkin when you saw him? Uh, Fight Brook, or when you watched um, a couple of his fights outside of the Sky promos, um, uh, was it different for you, or did you see him in a different light? Uh, yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, it was one of the things I was going to say to you two. Obviously, um, Matrine put on the fight, didn't they? Yeah. So it's obviously Eddie Hearns put on the fight in cover at his fighter, and then Sky have paid Matrine to pay the fight. So one of that kind of thing, they're going to due to that relationship that they have, they're going to obviously make it look like Cal Brooks got a bit better of a chance. Yeah, um, yeah and then obviously they kind of made it look like um, there's lots of folks Lockton's resume not being that great, the fact that he was just a big puncher, um, and yeah, not not any really technical ability. And I think obviously, like you mentioned, we were at the fight, and when watching it, when we're that far away, I kind of, I could see Lockton was obviously hurting Brooks, but that, um, and then you can also see, obviously, Brook punching as well. You can't really see 100% how it's, how it's really playing out. It's interesting to go back after, the day after, and actually watch the fight back. And then you can see that how Glockin was so many levels above and such a much better, uh, much better technical fighter than he was given credit for. And obviously the power, obviously, definitely was there as well, but he was a lot more, a lot more technical. That's the thing. They kind of uh, made out in the promo to that, like they do with a lot of... Um kind of knockout artists these days, they play on the uh, Mike Tyson angle where they say uh, all these others are defeated before they get in the ring, they're this, they're that. And I think maybe um, uh, a lot of the Americans may still see it like that when, um, I'm not sure how, how well he's promoted over there. I know he is um, kind of a household name, but um, I'm not sure whether people know how much of a skilled boxer he is um, or how much of a technical fighter he is, uh, especially with his amateur pedigree as well. Yeah, yeah, you don't win. Couldn't bring it on to fight. No. And lose, like, two yeah. Like, yeah. I think with that as well, it's us a a wider issue, particularly the Americans, but probably overall as well. We don't want people don't necessarily associate um, Eastern European fighters with being um kind of skilled because yeah. they think they're going to be tough, hard, but they don't, don't they forget about the obviously the quality amateur background you've got. It's no coincidence you've got people like. Lomachenko and Usyk, yeah. and before that you've read the Klitschko's as well, they've all yeah. come through a system where they're skilled amateurs as, as well as just being tough guys, and I think it's probably a bit of a... Stereotype. It, it, yeah, almost a stereotype. It sounds a bit far, probably say ignorant, but I think I think it is. I think, like I said, particularly in America, I think they think their way of doing things is, is the best, and I don't yeah. think they necessarily 
look outside to think, okay, how can we improve? How can we do better? Same as they, I think they kind of view the Brits to the same to an extent as well. Yeah. I don't think they kind of give British players maybe as much credit as they do, and maybe they're starting to change a little bit more now. Yeah. So um, just to conclude, all in agreement, uh, we would say uh, Golovkin wins on um, Saturday, and then he either looks for the belts or hopefully we get that big fight with Canelo. Yeah, oh, absolutely. I was just going to say, um, in terms of obviously when you mentioned about him looking on to after this fight, do you like do you two buy into the whole like the whole idea that Canelo's ducking GGG or is that just is that um, actually true? Is that I wouldn't happening? say it's uh, so much him. I would maybe say um, it's the promoters. Uh, Gold for Golden Boy Canelo is very much um, their crown jewel, the cash cow. and they can make money off of him fighting anyone in the division. So they're getting the money out of him fighting another Mexican next to Chavez Jr. And uh, I think they'll squeeze as much money out of him as they can uh, before they eventually make the risky fight with the left Yeah, like like they said um, earlier about um, Canelo fighting Liam Smith and they sold almost, well, they, they, I don't think they sold out the AT&T, but they, it was a lot of people there. It was like 60,000 so stupid. Liam Smith wouldn't pull out a stadium like that in our country. No. So people... Mexico is obviously a boxing mad country, so they will, and he's under the poster board, so they'll follow him no matter what. That's probably something Triple G hasn't had the benefit of. He's obviously being a cover who's fighting in America, kind of searching for all sorts of different markets, and it's not maybe not naturally, but I think people are just drawn to him now for his personality and the way he fights, so it's not as easy for him um, to get those big fights, but I think it's, it's getting to the point where they absolutely have to now. Yeah, agreed. Last night's selection Sunday took place to uh, draw the bracket for March Madness in the NCAA College Basketball Championships. Uh, if me and Sean now just break down who we have as our final four predictions and who we believe will be the eventual winner. So, uh, Sean, if I go to you first, um, who do you have winning the Eastern region? Yeah, so in the East, I've got uh, Villanova to make it back to the final four. Obviously, they won it last year. Um, they're the IPI ranks number one team. Uh, they've got Josh Hart, um, he's averaging like 19 points a game and Chris Jenkins is still there as well he scored the game winning shot last year um, yeah so I think I think they've got a very consistent and well rounded team and I think that in terms of their routes to, to the to the final four um, they've got a tricky second game where they either play Wisconsin or Virginia Tech which I'd bat them to get through but that's if they're going to come undone that's what I think they come undone um, and yeah they've also lost to Butler twice but they're on a different side they'd only meet them if they're in the, in the actual final so yeah that's why I've got Villanova coming out um, and I think they're um, yeah I think they're comfortably get to final four yeah I've also got um, Villanova winning the Eastern region um, when I uh, broke down my bracket I've actually got them beating SMU I've got SMU sorry beating Duke to set up um, a Villanova versus SMU um, clashing the Elite Eight uh, uh, which I then believe uh, Villanova get through um, set the place in the final four. Um, I think, as you mentioned, a lot will depend on uh, Josh Hart. Um, when he's been dialed in uh, during his career, and he hits at least twenty points, are actually twenty-two and zero in his career. Um, so I think, uh, as as you touched on, they've got a ton of experience uh, in their roster. Um, they've got the talent from last year's squad that's returned, which is really key. Um, and uh, seven of their nine leading scorers from last season are among the bunch that came back, um, including the top two, Josh Hart and Chris Jenkins. Um, I think they'll go into the tournament with some swagger and they'll have the, the fewest losses uh, for a reigning champion since the 2001-2 Duke team. Um, and I think they're also, uh, well, I do know, they're also one of the only four teams in the nation uh, that ranked top 20 in adjusted offense efficiency and an adjusted defense efficiency. So um, they're really doing it on both ends of the court. Um, another thing which um, I've seen mentioned a couple of times which really could be key is um, as the number one seed in the East Regional, um, they will have the regional uh, semi-final and final matchups at uh, MSG in New York City. So that's actually just a two-hour drive from the Villanova campus outside Philadelphia. Um, so I think you could expect the Wildcat fans to flood uh, MSG uh, for those games, and that could really make it feel like a home away from home, which I suppose is only going to help them uh, prosper in the later rounds. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I think there, obviously there's always upsets in this tournament, but I've got them facing uh, Duke in uh, Elite 8 um, but I think where they beat Duke is I think obviously Luke Kennard and Grace Allen are a good backcourt you could argue they're the best in college basketball but Grace Allen's had some issues with kicking out he's been suspended there's a lot of controversy and I think 
teams are going to know that in the tournament. They're going to wind him up, and he's going to cost them. That's why I see he's been touted as one of the top picks as well, hasn't he? I think maybe it looks like him. It's been got it's gotten to him a bit last season when he had less pressure on him. Uh, he's fallen a lot better than this season when um, he seems there's more eyes on him kind of thing. He's got more pressure on him. Yeah, he's the main guy now, obviously, yeah. since other people, other players, come to the NBA and he stuck around. So um, if we go next into the Midwest region, um, uh, who do you have uh, winning that one? Yeah, I got Kansas in this one. Um, I think they're this is the thirteenth time they've been ranked number one. They've won a thirteenth consecutive conference title as well. Um, so they got a lot of uh, a lot of pedigree. Uh, I think they're they're also in terms of their route to at least the final four is fairly comfortable in terms of teams they've got to face. Uh, yeah, they've got Frank Mason and Josh Jackson who are averaging around thirty seven points a game as a pair, which is pretty uh, elite and pretty hard to stop for anyone they're going to be facing. Uh, they've got their coach who's a free time coach of the year, and like I said in the stats, in terms of Mason, he's got twenty point five twenty point five points a game. Um, he's also been voted um, college basketball of the year by US Today. Okay. So, yeah, I think definitely Kansas. In terms of if we're going to play devil's advocate, I think a team that could maybe upset them would be Oregon. Uh, okay. They got to the final of the Pac-12. Also got beat by Arizona, but yeah, I think Kansas are comfortably going to get to the top four, final four. Yeah, um, I'd agree with you again on Kansas. Kansas are actually my pick uh, to go all the way and win the title. And I've got them beating Louisville in the Elite Eight to then go on uh, to the final four. Um, I think they've done well. They've brought back the key pieces um, from last year's uh, overall number one seeded team. Um, and they've added Josh Jackson, uh, which would be a huge part in uh, maybe going a bit further this season. Um, uh, interesting stat is that the last uh, two times Kansas have been eliminated in the Elite Eight, which they were last season, um, they then reached the national championship game the following April, which they then won in 2008 and lost in 2012. Um, so uh, last year, as we said, that's when they exited in the Elite Eight. So um, I think what uh, differentiates them uh, from maybe um, uh, the other teams in the division would be um, they've got veteran point guards who are now adjusted fully to the college game and really looking to make a mark uh, going into the NBA. Yeah. They've got Frank Mason and they've got Devontae Graham um, and they're complemented by Josh Jackson, as we said, who's been a candidate for the top pick in the 2017 draft. Um, and they've also got a power forward, Colton Bragg, who's been the top guy on many people's um, breakout sophomore lists. So um, I think they've just got a fully well-rounded squad. And um, barring any uh, major upsets or injuries, then I think they are a very good shout to at least um, push close to going all the way, if not winning it completely. So um, if we go uh, next on to the West, um, who do you have winning there? Yeah, in the West, I think the West is actually probably the, the weakest division, uh, region, sorry. Um, obviously, Gonzaga are the strong favourites, but I've gone for Notre Dame because I think okay. any region, I think there's quite a lot of middle teams in there. So that's why I think Notre Dame are going to end up doing it. Um, yeah, they've got, uh, obviously they've got, um, Bonzi Colson, who's also a, a first round draft pick, lottery, potentially a lottery pick. He leads the team with 17.5 points a game. Um, yeah, and I just think that Gonzaga, as much as they've got a great record, it's actually quite interesting that it's been 18 consecutive years since Gonzaga have not reached the Final Four. So that's why I don't think they're going to make it. And I think Notre Dame, very good team. They've, they've, played, they've competed with the likes of, of Duke and North Carolina. Um, so that's why I see them come out of the West. I'm going to have to disagree with uh, a lot of what you said there because I do believe that uh, this is the year that Gonzaga do go on to being in the Final Four. Um, I've got them beating Arizona in the Elite Eight uh, to head into the Final Four. Um, they're entering the tournament with a 32-1 record, and I think this is the year that um, Mark Few's team could really make it uh, that, uh, a bit further than they usually do. I think um, if you ignore the weak conference and you simply look at the players and the makeup of the team, um, you've got Nigel Williams-Goss, who's a former Pac-12 star and um, has been touted as one of the smartest floor generals in college basketball today. Um, he's averaging 16.9 points, 4.8 assists, and um, just 2.1 turnovers per contest. Um, also in the squad, they've got uh, Karnowski, who is seven foot one, two hundred eighty-eight pounds, and uh, kind of similar to the way in which uh, Paul Zingis plays in the NBA. Um, he's got a soft touch, he's got a deft pass, and he can shoot. So um, they've got a real star there. They've also got um, uh, Zach Collins coming off the bench, who, uh, although he's not starting consistently, um, they say his style is um, almost gives him an undeniable NBA future. 
And then just finally, they've got uh, Jordan Matthews, who comes off the bench as well. Um, is another guy who's put up numbers in the Pac-12, and um, he provides outside shooting from there. So they're very well-rounded going through the team. They've got um, a mixture of players to come out of different styles that they may reach um, going into the Final Four. Yeah. And um, I think this could just be um, the year they put it all together. Um, they're second in the nation in effective field goal percentage and um, first in uh, defensive effective field goal percentage. So um, <clears throat> you'd have to um, give them a real shot this time. Uh, the thing about choking as well, uh, going into the big dance, uh, you could say they've just been upset twice in the last decade, uh, looking at the brackets. And once was uh, by a guy called Steph Curry, and uh, the other guy was by a red hot um, uh, Wichita State team that they they then went on to the final four. So um, they've been uh, accused of choking a fair few times, but it's very rare they're upset. It's usually they go out around the time they're expected to. Yeah, yeah, I think. Um... Obviously, you, mentioned, you said you've got Gonzaga beating Arizona. In the early yeah. Game. yeah, I think Arizona, obviously they got a 34 record. They won the Pac-12 championship. I think they are a good team, but I don't think they have quite that ability. I think that obviously they've won the Pac-12, but anyone can beat anyone in that division. So, I mean, yeah, obviously Gonzaga, they probably have the best team that they've had in recent years. So eventually it's obviously going to happen at some point, you'd think, but I just fancy Notre Dame to top them. And uh, uh, I think we've got a different opinion as well uh, if if we go into the south. So uh, if we start with you, who have you got? Yeah, sure. In the south, I think I think this is the best region in terms of teams we've got. Um, I've got UCLA, um, but obviously there's also strong competition from Kentucky and North Carolina in this. Is that biased from you supporting UCLA, or is that what you actually? Think? I'm a Wisconsin Badgers fan, as you know, but I do <laughs> I do like I do I guess UCLA could be my second team, but uh, I guess it is a bit biased as well, but. At the end of the day, they've got, I think, to get to at least the, the final four, uh, I think a star can get you there, which Lonzo Ball is. He's going to go, well, it's an argued debate. I reckon by the time draft comes around, he will go number one. Um, and obviously, usually they haven't been a contender in recent years, but now they've got 29-4 record. They've got TJ Lee with Ball as the two freshmen. Um, and Ball's getting like 14 points a game, six rebounds. Leafs getting it, 16 points a game. Um, and I think those two will carry them to the final four. Um, obviously, UCLA lost to Arizona in the Pac-12 semi-final, but they have beaten before. They've beaten Kentucky in the regular season. And I don't think, as much as Kentucky have got good players as well, like Brian Fox and Alec Monk, I don't think they're as good as they have been in previous years, with obviously like Towns and Anthony yeah. Davis, etc., which is ridiculous. Um, but yeah, I've got UCLA beating Kentucky in the Elite Eight matchup, uh, and then yeah, I think it's time for. Yeah, so I've got um, North Carolina uh, to win the region. I've got um, them going against UCLA it, as probably is the expected matchup uh, for the Elite Eight, and um, I'll take last year's finalists to reach the Final Four again, um, and have another crack at the prize. Um, <clears throat> granted, uh, UCLA does have Lonzo Ball, but I think it's going to be their defense is going to let them down. Yeah, um, I think when the going gets tough, they can be uh, weakened there. And um, the loss in the ACC tournament doesn't really bother me um, with North Carolina. Um, they appeared to have Duke in control before a fourth foul um, to the point guard Joel Berry, and that was with 15 minutes left. Um, so in the second half of the season, uh, in the second half of the game, sorry, that completely changed the game. And uh, considering that uh, Berry has only committed um, four plus fouls in just four games this season, I wouldn't say it's likely to happen again. So I think that could just be one of those uh, freak things that just happens in the, in the heat of the moment. Um, I would say they've got no clear weaknesses um, and they've arguably got the best front court in the nation with um, Kennedy Meeks, Isaiah Hicks, Tony Bradley and um, Luke May, um, which, allowed, which has allowed them to grab 42% of their own misses, which is uh, the most in the country. Um, so they can shoot it. Um, they've got uh, Barry and Justin Jackson, who uh, each have hit more than two threes a game. And um, I think they've been defending much better of late. Yeah, yeah, and um, obviously, like we mentioned with Villanova, Justin Jackson's been there before he was part of the team. I'm pretty confident was part of the team that obviously got beat by Villanova, and they've got coaching Roy Williams, who's obviously been there and done it before yeah, as well. So breaking down uh, my final four matchups, I had uh, Villanova to beat uh, Gonzaga and Kansas to beat North Carolina, and then I've got Kansas uh, to win the final. So I'm not sure about what who you thought was going to win. Yeah, I've got. Um, I've got Villanova um, getting through, and then I've also got um, 
yeah, Villanova beating Notre Dame, um, and then I've got UCLA beating Kansas, um, and then in terms of who I think is going to win, I think Villanova are going to do it again. Okay. Um, I think in terms of, obviously, they, well, they've become the first team to be, go back to back since Florida about 10 years ago. Um, so, yeah, I reckon in terms of they've got, like we mentioned before, Josh Hart, I think they'll show up. Chris Jenkins has obviously clutched through the show before. So, yeah, I've got Villanova winning. It was interesting, actually, um, on ESPN yesterday, they had um, Josh Hart, and they were speaking to him about uh, last year's final. And they said that when they got back into the locker room, they didn't even really celebrate the win. They said that with that team, they genuinely expected the whole way through that they were going to win it. And they said um, it's not even been mentioned this year coming round. They, uh, they, their coach uh, backed that up. I mean, as he's supposed to, but he said that it's, it, you would think they didn't win it last season with the attitude going into this season. I know they've got um, some fresh talent in there, but they said they're just approaching it completely differently and um, the fresh mindset. And they said they're not really thinking about retaining it, they're just thinking about winning it again. Yeah, yeah, that's. I never know whether it's really true I know or you they mean, say yeah. that because I don't think you can. Well, you see the, the scenes from when the, uh, the buzzer beater went in. They're obviously all going mad and celebrating. I can't yeah. imagine that when they got into the locker room, obviously they just, I don't know, they just forgot. Suppose he, it, said, he said the moment kind of passed and then they said, as they reflected, they said maybe it was a lot more of a shot to other people than women than it was them, them themselves. Yeah, yeah, I don't think they were a big, obviously they were a number two seed, but no one really thought they were going to win, I guess. So yeah, you're probably right there. Well, uh, we'll just see it unfold now. I think it's um, Thursday the 16th, I think, the games start. Yeah, yeah. And then in April. Yeah, and we'll, see April. It. And then we'll see it unfold. So um, thanks again for listening to uh, the Spitballing Podcast. Um, I'll say thanks to um, Sean, TK, uh, Luke and Troy for joining me again. Um, if Just to, to plug a few things, if you have a look on their front website, um, I think we've mentioned that both myself and Sean uh, both write for the magazine. And um, you'll see um, various different articles. Sean did an article, um, as mentioned last week, on um, why he wouldn't like Kevin Durant to win a championship. And um, I've done several interviews with um, uh, boxers, people in the UFC, and uh, even some musicians. And um, I tried to break it down. That's just another source. You can pick it up there. Uh, the Hay interview that you heard previously was on there as well. So um, if you had, if you had um, five minutes, it might be worth having a look on there. So um, once again, thanks for joining us. Thanks for listening. Um, if you could be so kind as to leave a review for us on the website, uh, on the iTunes uh, podcast section, or leave a comment on SoundCloud, um, if you could like it, and uh, just spread the word. If you've got anything that you'd like to comment, uh, uh, Twitter at it at Spitballing Pod, and if you'd like to join us on the show, then um, uh, drop us a tweet, and uh, we'll see if we can uh, fit it in. Thank you.